This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. We felt like it was the appropriate thing to do. If there is real data that suggests we're really going to find more ADRs and therefore really going to save more lives, this is a practice expense that makes sense. A GI practice's major mission is, in essence, colon cancer prevention. Welcome to Gastro Broadcast, presented by Gastrologic the nation's only GI-specific group purchasing organization. I'm your host, Fred Rosenberg, and for my first podcast of our second season, we're traveling today, electronically at least, to Colorado, and I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Daus Mankey, president of Gastroenterology of the Rockies, located in the Boulder, Colorado area. He received his MD from Vanderbilt, did his residency at Yale New Haven Hospital, and his fellowship at the University of Colorado. Dr. Mankey is also a clinical professor at the University of Colorado and on the Medical Advisory Board of the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Gastroenterology of the Rockies is one of the first GI practices to incorporate advanced artificial software during colonoscopies, assisting in detecting colorectal polyps regardless of shape, size, and morphology. I can't wait to hear and learn more about AI and gastroenterology and their practice experiences in implementing this advanced technology. Welcome to Gastro Broadcast, Dr. Mankey. Well, thanks so much for having me. Tell us about your career path. What led you to interest in healthcare and to become a gastroenterologist? I would say probably like many docs as a kid, I might have been sort of on the science nerd side of, of uh, math and science nerd side of school and actually started out wanting to be a scientist. Um, in fact, sort of moving through school and, and such started out as a sort of graduate student in immunology and had a, sort of a dual degree plan of, of care and then kind of got tired of being in the lab by myself. It was sort of a lonely place, me and the cell lines and me and the mice and, and, and me and, you know, a small number of very nice people, but a small number of people sort of missed the a bigger picture of, of applying science to people and missed interacting with people and so sort of made a morph from being a lab rat to a, a you know a clinic ward rat if you will and and made that transition so besides colorado what brought you to this practice i was raised sort of all over the place and and in montana is where i was born and had extended family as we moved through my training moving in the western direction felt like a good idea originally the plan was to do training in in denver and then bounced to Montana or, or somewhere in a more rural West. But we made many friends. Denver's a great place to live. You know, we had children, things that we started to grow roots, and this was an excellent place to grow roots. And luckily, the Denver area also has, you know, several excellent GI practices. And so it wasn't very hard as a graduating fellow to find a group of, of physicians that were you know, in a well-organized, well-run practice doing the right thing. And particularly like, you know, in terms of geography, the northern Denver suburbs in Boulder, and it's just a beautiful place to live. Tell us a little bit about your practice group. How did it come together? It started uh, in the 80s 
as two physicians uh, and gradually grew, you know, as many practices have over that time to, we are now, I think, 17 physicians, seven mid-level providers. What started out as a single location in a single hospital, we're now to, I think, seven clinical locations and in four hospital systems. That has been more or less over time. There were periods of time where we had even different clinical locations and more hospital responsibilities, but sort of a 30 year growth from two docs to, you know, 24 providers across multiple zip codes. We're, we're all seeing practices um, consolidate and grow. Has your practice grown just organically or have other groups, small groups uh, joined your group practice? It's an interesting question. We have grown, you know, just organically over these years, just hiring talent and expanding our geographic footprint and, you know, building our own new facilities and centers and clinics, et cetera. We debate, as all practices of our size, I think, are what the next steps are, what catalyst does a practice need, what partners should a practice acquire to take those next steps. And I think organic growth for us has always felt like the right growth style, um, and we've managed to do that real successfully. But we may need to consider partnerships to grow faster or grow differently, not necessarily faster, but there may be pieces of the healthcare delivery puzzle that physician-organized, owned, and managed groups may or may not ever have the capacity for. So we constantly consider partnerships of whatever variety to see if they might achieve goals that, that are mutual. What's the environment for private practice in Colorado and, and what pressures is your is your practice facing in, in recent years? I think the environment for practice here is quite good. I, I We've benefited from Denver growth. The Denver area is a growing community. We've seen population growth and so there's been no shortage of clients or, or referrals because people are moving here in, in droves. Uh, because of that, I think we've not had too great a competitive landscape uh, in terms of competing with other practices for growth and for market share. The communities here are just excellent communities of people. This is probably true in many parts of the country, but I feel like we have an excellent patient base of, of thoughtful folks and, and thoughtful referring providers. So I can't say it's ever been easy, but I don't think we've had sweeping legislative or market or competitive changes. We haven't had significant pressures from payers and reimbursements and things that have been part of other, you know, areas of the country. Do you see do you see hospital systems acquiring uh, primary care providers and is that impacting your practice and are the hospitals beginning to employ their own gastroenterologists? Not so much. Uh, well, I should say, yes, um, hospital systems are acquiring primary care providers uh, and several larger systems around the greater Denver area are sort of doing that relatively aggressively, so to speak. But our growth model has been to, along the way, be partnered with the healthcare systems, with the local healthcare systems. And so we have excellent working relationships with the hospital systems. And as they've grown, we have grown. And in particular, our, our ASCs are joint ventured with hospital partners and different hospital partners. Uh, and so that allows us to 
kind of grow with them. And as they acquire a primary care base, help insulate us from them wanting to do their own GI work because we're doing it together from the beginning. I hope you realize how fortunate you are because when I talk to colleagues around the country, you know, in other communities, uh, some hospital systems are very aggressive now at um, capturing the primary care physicians and then building um, that as a referral source for their own gastroenterologists and it becomes quite competitive uh, and, and challenging for independent practices to maintain their uh, usual referral sources. So kudos to you. Yeah, thank you. And I, we've, we've realized that in, in terms of some of the hospital systems that we're not necessarily partners with, know that we're successful partners and have actually been coming to us and saying, we're buying primary care doctors. We're thinking about buying GI practices, what have you. But another option might be to partner with you instead because we have seen the successes you have had with the other hospital systems in our area. And so I think the, you know, that was, I can't give myself credit for that. This started, you know, 20 years ago or more before I began in this practice. So those original ideas of, of maintaining those relationships are, have been very important for us for sure. That's great. Your practice has begun using AI during colonoscopy. Research has shown that uh, for every 1% increase in the adenoma detection rate, um, this results in a potentially 3% decrease in the risk for colorectal cancer. Have you been able to measure um, the effect of AI on your colonoscopy experiences? We haven't had enough experience yet likely to generate that change in, in detection rate that we hope to find. We are, maybe this is our third month uh, I believe it's now into our third month of using AI. And we've been careful not to analyze too early, uh, wanting to make sure we had an excellent you know, batch of data to analyze to determine if we're really seeing what the data is to, to support. My gut feeling is that I am finding more adenomas, but my gut feeling is not the same as data. It's an interesting uh, expense to throw into the endoscopy center. It's not cheap technology. Are you using GI Genius? Is that the? We are using GI Genius, and so it has a you know fairly heavy lift in terms of a monthly lease payment. But we felt like it was the appropriate thing to do. If there is real data that suggests we're really going to find more ADRs and therefore really going to save more lives, this is a practice expense that makes sense. A GI practice's major mission is, in essence, colon cancer prevention. Was the learning curve challenging for the physicians? Not at all. It is very seamless uh, to implement. It does not slow the process whatsoever. The utility of it in the endo center is, is, is very, very simple, very, very quick. It doesn't really change at all the way you do colonoscopy. Didn't slow anything down. It, it's actually super, it was super duper easy to, uh, to put into, into practice. Well, we'll look forward to uh, hearing more about your experience and uh, hopefully something we'll put into our practice here. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the pandemic and the effect it had on your practice. And I'm interested in hearing if you feel as if patient expectations for provision of care have changed. 
because of the pandemic. The pandemic was very hard for us as it was for everyone. Had to do all those hard things like furloughing staff and cutting back hours, sharing in the anxieties over the whole you know, public health crisis on a personal level. Throughout all that, to my surprise, patients maintained a very respectful attitude towards their healthcare providers and did not present obstacles or, or frustrations to us that were difficult. And we, at the end, felt very reassured that our patients hung in there with us while we hung in there with them, if that makes sense. And I don't believe that we lost patients or, or soured relationships because we had to change the way we delivered care. And what I mean by that is restricting care and changing care from in person to telemedicine. I think as we made those clinical practice moves that were required due to the nature of the pandemic, patients came right along with us and, and adapted as we did, which was excellent help because it would have been very difficult if we couldn't have adapted together through a new clinical interaction, that patient-doctor interaction. Was telehealth something that you added during the pandemic, or were you doing that before? We did add it during the pandemic. We had not been offering telemedicine visits prior to the pandemic. It was on our radar screen to consider, but we had put basically no effort into that until we were pushed to. Luckily, we have one or two physicians that are a little bit more tech-savvy, so to speak, and also had had the interest prior and had done some thinking about this prior. And at the same time, the systems to develop this were rapidly evolving, as you know, and it became quickly somewhat easy to institute. And it felt like the right thing to do. There were lots of time in that period where I'm sure you guys went through this as well, where you weren't sure if you were gonna get paid, you weren't sure if you were gonna have a meaningful interaction, you weren't sure if patients would want to do it. You weren't sure if it would be even logistically feasible, but patients needed it. We needed it. I'm not even sure to this day, frankly, if we've been getting paid to do it, but it doesn't matter in some ways because it's just had to happen. And, and um, maybe that's part of what helped keep our doctor-patient relationships strong is that we were sort of honest and open about our, our skill set with our patients and that they were helping us develop this together. And it's something you think will continue on even after we get back to normal? I think so. We have scaled back quite a bit. We do, as a practice, believe the in-person visit is more you know, clinically relevant and achieves a, a better degree of care. But there are certainly disease states uh, where a, a virtual visit is still very effective. And we certainly have patients who still would prefer that style of clinical interaction and we can still do that and be effective physicians. So while we have scaled back our telemedicine and virtual visits quite a bit, it's a service line that we will continue to sort of develop and, and maintain, but it will be a minority of visits. So people are referring to this time period as the, uh, the time of the great resignation. Um, I know at our hospitals, uh, they're finding it difficult to staff the GI labs. Uh, the ICUs are filled with traveling nurses. Are you finding it challenging to maintain adequate staffing at your offices and your ASCs? 
it has been a challenge. We're feeling that quite a lot, I think, because we are in this growth phase in our practice and have had robust organic growth and would like to have more robust organic growth and have our sites set to additional ASCs and clinical locations. And we have the patient population and referral base to supply or fuel that growth. But the labor market is terrible. The uh, nursing shortages that our hospitals are experiencing are also occurring in our ASCs. The nursing shortages are also making it difficult for us to find clinical staff for the, the offices. There's been more turnover in the MAs. We've had a little bit of turnover in the PAs. The physicians have remained strong. We still have an adequate number of applicants in the physician pool that we could hire physicians, but our nervousness is about having the staff to support those physician activities you know, across all of the parts of the organization. I do think, and maybe this is my pride or my inside perception, but we have had very good um, retention among our staff going all the way back through COVID and furloughing everybody, almost everybody came back and we have not had the same turnover that I've heard about in other practices. What we are having the most trouble with is acquiring new talent, acquiring new nurses, acquiring new MAs. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you still have a strong interest in physician, new physicians coming on board. Um, I hear from a lot of my colleagues that um, the physicians coming out of training now are, um, as a group, much less interested in private practice, um, just really looking for a job that will be a job, come to work at uh, 8.30, go home at 5, and, and pretty much it. But you're not seeing that. Maybe it's Colorado that uh, brings yeah, the entrepreneurial spirit out. We do, see, we do see some of that. In fact, as our practice has grown and now we're 17 if I'm remembering physicians, we now have a group of physicians where you can sort of see the different nuances in what physicians would like out of their clinical careers. And we have not done this yet, but contemplate the idea of having multiple styles of employment model within our private practice. And maybe there is a place for some physicians to have that more traditional partnership ownership track and there may be a role for other physicians to exist only in an employment model and maybe some hybrid model. This becomes increasingly important to consider as we grow and consider the types of physicians that we're trying to hire, whether they be generalists, GI doctors, whether they be specialists in hepatology or research or inflammatory bowel disease, or whether they be therapeutic um, endoscopists. These different clinical pathways may not all need the same employment model. And I think you're right. Denver and the Boulder area is a nice place to live. It's, you know, frequently touted as one of the nicest places to live in America. So I do think we get some lift in our hiring uh, options because of that. 
probably for us the biggest challenge is finding physicians who are skilled with ERCP. That seems to have fallen away from standard fellowship training and yet is still a need that we have to meet. And as the physicians who do that service become the minority, it creates challenges in, in call coverage and things like this. So we've all been there. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on um, our, our podcast. Uh, I think physicians in private practice of gastroenterology all over the country face many of the same problems and challenges that your practice has faced. And it's always great to hear how, uh, you know, practices have met that challenge and are, are seeking solutions and, and um, being able to share best practices and ideas is always helpful. Um, thanks for coming on. Um, our guest has been Dr. Dows Mankey and hope to see you back again for another broadcast. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Rosenberg. It's, uh, I agree with you. It's great to hear the experiences of boots on the ground, private practice gastroenterologists as we all solve common problems. It's uh, inspirational to hear other people's solutions as well. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com. Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.